0: <laughs> Once again good morning to everyone here in the Zendo
1: and good morning to everyone on Zoom. This morning our perspective shifts from
0: right action. We've spent the last couple of weeks on this topic to right livelihood. From my perspective,
1: my view, it's tempting to see the shift as also a broadening of our focus.
0: Of course, and as both Mado and I have said, every spoke on the wheel, this image that we've been using as we've been exploring the Eightfold Noble Path, includes every other spoke but I think this is especially easy to appreciate with right livelihood. We began with right view which concerns our conceptual orientation towards the world, how we view our place in it and it in relation to us and importantly the issues of reality and value What is it that's important to me? What do I center my life around? Our orientation, the way in which we approach the world influences the intentions that we set. And so after right view, we move to right intention. And the intentions that we set in turn influence some might go farther and say, determine
1: our speech and our actions. And so it's only right speech, right action. And all of this together
0: makes up a large part of our lives, of our livelihood.
1: there's a broadening that's been happening in our lives as a whole. Kind of.
0: Traditionally, in the early sutras, those of the Pali canon Right, livelihood is understood in a way that is narrower than what I've said so far. Its focus is the way in which one earns a living. And the Buddha specified five kinds of occupations that are to be avoided. First, dealing in weapons. Second, dealing in living beings. This includes raising and slaughtering non-human animals in addition to slave trade and prostitution. Dealing in meat production and butchery
1: is the third. Fourth is dealing in poisons, intoxicants. And fifth, Dealing in making prophecies. A sixth, we
0: should avoid as an occupation anything that goes against right speech, right action. And that would lead us to not observing the 16 bodhisattva precepts. Instead, we should endeavor as much as is practical and possible to support ourselves in ways that encourage and promote observance of the precepts, Mm -hmm. practice the Eightfold Path, and cultivation of the character traits of generosity, patience, joyful effort, meditation or concentration, and wisdom what are known as the paramitas. We as lay persons should support ourselves in ways
1: that are legal, peaceful, honest, and do not entail or bring about harm or suffering to others. In light of the talk that I gave a few weeks ago, I will condition as in a way
0: that does not entail or bring about excessive? Question mark.
1: Unnecessary? Question mark. Something?
0: Question mark harm or suffering to others. Because a few weeks ago, I used the first of the 10 clear mind precepts to refrain from taking life, to cultivate and sustain life, to raise a dilemma for us. How do we observe this precept
1: since in everything we do or almost everything? thing we do, thing we do, either directly or indirectly,
0: we seem to take life, cause harm, and cause suffering to something. Other human beings, non-human animals, insects, the oceans, lakes, ponds, flowers, trees, fishes, Wilbur. Thich Han reminds us that when we think about right livelihood in our lives as a whole, it's very much a collective
1: affair. It's not something that's merely or simply personal. And it doesn't help to think that we can
0: avoid having this effect on everything around us, taking some life, causing some harm, bringing about some suffering by trying to
1: do nothing. We must do something.
0: If I can put on my philosopher hat for a moment, it's not possible to do nothing. Doing nothing is doing something namely the something of doing nothing. So you're always doing something. But just because we must do something and in fact, we're always doing something doesn't mean that we can do anything. I can't just lean across the Zendo right now and strike Daigon. Mostly because my legs are in a pretzel and robes are rather cumbersome. But aside from that, There needs be constraints, limits, even if those limits appear rather fuzzy at times. Perhaps the best way to engage with this dilemma is as chosen Bayes Roshi would suggest, to have an unbelievable awareness of all life and to try to not kill, except when it's absolutely necessary. For this one, I think it's rather important that when confronted with such a dilemma, when we really feel it, we are wary of the inclination to throw our hands up in the air. Declare that all is hopeless, that nothing matters. It doesn't matter what I do in this moment or in any moment. A feeling that can follow all too
1: closely and comfortably on this seemingly innocent perfectionist stance that we sometimes take. We say the bar is here when it
0: comes to observing this precept in a literal way. And when we reflect on the interconnectedness of life, we realize I can never reach that
1: bar. So it doesn't matter what I do. No.
0: Matters a very great deal what you do. Because this path that we are walking together side by side, hand in hand, donning gentle smiles and with open hearts
1: is a path of progress, not a path of perfection. It's a path on which
0: we endeavor to meet others and ourselves Exactly
1: where we all are and as we are in that moment. In this moment. And in that moment to respond appropriately. To act skillfully. And then again in the next moment.
0: And the next moment. And the next moment. To set an honest and sincere intention every morning to be a little bit kinder. To be a little bit gentler. To create and maintain a safe place for someone to sleep. As I was reflecting on the path we walk as bodhisattvas, I found myself thinking about a rather famous painting by the Italian Renaissance artist, Raphael, a painting that we call the School of Athens. Maybe you've seen it. In the center of this painting,
1: prominently displayed are two figures walking Side by next to him in a blue
0: robe with rather fashionably cut short hair is Aristotle. And that remark about Aristotle isn't just because of the way he's portrayed in the painting. Diogenes Laertius reports that Aristotle had thin calves, spoke with a lisp, and wore his hair fashionably short for the day. Well dressed individual. In this painting, they're walking side by side and apparently engaged in conversation. And I found myself thinking about how conversations like this one, conversations about ethics or morality, skillful ways of speaking, acting, and in general living
1: can quickly go up, precisely the direction in which Plato is pointing. They can quickly turn
0: to abstract principles, hypothetical scenarios involving runaway trolleys, becoming detached from the here, the now, this life, this moment. In a dialogue called the Theaetetus, Plato describes the philosopher as someone for whom only their body resides in the city. Their soul, unshackled, traverses the heavens,
1: contemplating divine, eternal truths. I find it to be a beautiful and a moving image but this way is not our way. Though our way is not without it. Aristotle seems to fare a bit better.
0: In the painting, his hand is not pointing up but extending outward
1: to what is right here, right in front of us.
0: And Aristotle is explicit that the right action is determined by the right or virtuous life manifested through careful consideration of the present moment's particulars.
1: The who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how. If we're not right
0: here in this moment, seems rather difficult to respond skillfully. Meeting what arises as it arises as it is. So if not up
1: and not out, what's left? We're fortunate
0: that a number of poems from early Buddhist nuns have survived, have come down to us and are available in English. And for the last couple of years, I've been making my way through a collection titled The First Free Women. Not done with it yet. Not because the poems are long or it's a terribly thick volume, but you spend time with poetry. You don't read it like you read a novel. And this morning I thought I would share a poem from a nun named Utama. The poem comes to us without a title And it reads as follows. The entire path and all you will ever need to walk it,
1: you will find inside. So the Buddha taught me. Once I took a closer
0: look, all the running around started to seem a little silly. Things changed so quickly. By the time I got anywhere, I'd be someone else. You are
1: your mother. You are your daughter. One moment gives birth to the next. What we do is who we become. I'll read it one more time.
0: The entire path and all you will ever need to walk it, you will find inside. So the Buddha taught me. Once I took a closer look,
1: all the running around started to seem a little silly. Things changed so quickly. By the time I got anywhere,
0: I'd be someone else. You are your mother, you are your
1: daughter. One moment gives birth to the next. What we do is who we become.
0: What is it to live rightly How do we live rightly? Plato would say, look up. Aristotle would say, be here. Utama on behalf of the Buddha says, look in here. Look in here. And so I'd like to leave you with some questions this morning. Should you choose to look inside? What do you find? What do you find if you search yourself, this life, this
1: body, this mind, this heart? what is revealed to you about the way in which you
0: orient yourself to the world, the way in which you
1: choose to live this life? And does it support, does
0: it encourage embracing and sustaining
1: all beings? Thank you very much.